this is Tony Speaks and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co-creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Disciplined. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors. Follow us on our journey. Derek R. Wood is a successful author, veteran, entrepreneur, family man, and is currently serving as the mayor of Dumfries, Virginia. Respected as a leader wherever he goes, Wood has garnered the support of many with his commitment to community service and his relentless quest to create a world where excellence is the standard. Constantly pursuing higher heights, the Marine veteran can be found ushering in various waves of purpose-fueled living. Knowing firsthand the power of perseverance, Wood empowers others to pursue their purpose with vigor and intentionality. His modern and unique approach to leadership and impact have left room for opportunities to share his transformational words of wisdom on rediscovering purpose, refocusing vision, clarifying potential, and more. With an air of relatability and a true sense of confidence, Derek R. Wood serves everyone he encounters with humility and charm. He is the founder and pitmaster of Divine Barbecue in Motion, a mobile barbecuing, catering, company, restaurant, and competition team. He and the Divine Barbecue team happily and successfully serve the DMV area with the food that is full of flavor and cooked to perfection. Derek R. Wood resides in Dumfries, Virginia with his wife and children. But most of all, Derek Wood is becoming disciplined. Today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview Mayor Derek Wood. Mayor Wood, welcome to Becoming Disciplined. We are so honored to have you. Hey, Tony, I appreciate it. Thanks for, uh, you know, welcoming me here. I'm excited to talk to you and, and all those who are committed to all the things that you speak about and that you bring to the community. So thanks for having me. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. But before you educate us and share your current story, I think it's good for people to know. It's it's always good for people to know a superhero's origin story. And 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 for my audience to be aware of your context, your origin story. Where did you grow up, Mayor Wood? Right in this this DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Uh, I've been to school in, up in Alexandria and Silver Spring, Maryland, and Norfolk. Uh, spent my summers uh, traveling with the family, mostly in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and uh, Greenville, North Carolina. And, you know, you know, holidays in Florida and different beaches. So I'm, uh, I guess I'm well traveled up and down the East Coast, you would say. All right, all right, all right. Now, how would you describe your childhood? Would you consider it conventional, unconventional, traditional, untraditional? What, what, how would you describe your childhood? I mean, it just depends on, on what lens you're looking from, right? Because you don't see what's there. You see what you've been programmed to see or, or how you've uh, been brought up, right? To some people, it could be conventional. To some people, it could be unconventional, you know, based on when that's the environment in which you grew up knowing. Right. And that's where it's almost like you get into this conversation now about uh, racial equity and cultural. It's a lot of times if you haven't grew up in our environment, it could look abnormal. 
but um, we grew up in an environment where it was uh, it, it was normal for uh, what uh, I think Reagan at the time labeled latchkey uh, kids, right? You had your key on, you you let yourself in the house, you you did those type of things. But some people nowadays might see that as uh, abnormal and, and not normal type of situation. But it helps you to, for me, it helped to uh, really develop a, a certain level of independence at a at an early age, and, and knowing that if it's going to be, it is up to me. Right? I had to be a solution oriented at a, at an early age. Right, it actually led me into uh, learning and developing my passion for cooking. Right, because I grew up in a way where uh, it was a lot of uh, bologna and uh, bacon and uh, bread and that type of stuff in there. And so we used to have the bologna. I don't know if kids don't know about it nowadays, but it had the red string around it. You put it in the frying pan and you fried it and you cut the little triangle in it, you put your little piece of cheese on it, you had your bologna sandwich. <laughs> yeah, I remember you taking me back. You taking yeah, me back. Yeah, then, then you had the pilot light on the bottom of the stove. You know, <laughs> put, put the bread up underneath there. You had butter, you put butter on it, you had a little sugar, put some sugar on it, and you ate you some sugar-buttered bread. <laughs> Amen. So, uh, you know, it, it, it just depends on, I think, you can't take away uh, those type of experience because all of those experiences uh, make you who you are today, right? If you uh, learn lessons from it, if you're able to re reflect on it, and, and I think uh, that's what history gives us. It gives us a point of, of reference or even lessons learned because you're going to continue to repeat lessons until you learn them. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, when you were a child, the subject of this podcast is discipline. Um, and, you know, I kind of, I call it, it's my way to monetize my greatest weakness. Amen. So yeah. when you were a child, when was there someone who inspired you with their level of discipline? Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, some of the, 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 the tough decisions. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't like to get in trouble. So I was, uh, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't reckon I gave uh, anybody too much trouble because, you know, I probably didn't like to be, uh, disciplined at all. And so I remember uh, there was a time when, um, you know, you, you hanging around kids in the neighborhood and, and some of those kids uh, weren't doing the best things. And I think it was a time I can recall that I was in a 7-Eleven um, a, a and I think I wanted something. And I guess I didn't have any money and I took the thing out of 7-Eleven. And the... Uh, they took me back in at the time. They told the man they were going to call the police on me, right? You know, they all took me in and said, and I had to take it back. And I think it was just kind of a, to shake me up and, and to scare me at the time. I probably was no more than probably about uh, four, maybe five at the time. But it was a level of discipline that, that taught me that, you know, you shouldn't take nothing uh, that don't belong to you. And so it was, uh, it was good training. Mm, that's good. That's good. That's good. Now I've noticed you have. Uh, I've, I've done a little bit of research, and um, I noticed that you have four loves that I know about: cooking, entrepreneurship, civic involvement, and public speaking. Can you rank those loves? You know, I know it's hard to pick a baby, but mm -hmm. in, in you know, from from the, the 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 thing that's your your greatest love to the one that if if, if one uh, if one had if one got to go. 
Amen. If one got to go, which one would, would would have to be the one that would go? One got to go. Give, give me the four you got. Ooh. Well, the four that I know about uh, mm -hmm. are entrepreneurship, uh, cooking, civics, and public speaking. And when I say civics, I mean your government involvement. So if one had to go, mm -hmm. I, I would um, the the um, the civic engagement go right. That was a, you know, getting involved into politics and civil engagement was a, a byproduct of a problem. It wasn't nothing that I aspired to do. It wasn't something that uh, it was on my vision board or nothing that I dreamed about. Right. My passion was cooking. It was barbecue. Barbecue was that gift that kind of opened up that door for me. And so when it opened the door and it presented a problem, I figured I had ideas to make the, the system better. I brought a, a cultural perspective that I don't think that was there before uh, based on, um, I think, my core values, my principles, and uh, some of the people I've been mentored by. You know, public speaking, I think, um, I, I don't think at this point I met a microphone that I didn't like. You know, um, I'm... I'm I'm pretty gifted at teaching and, and making complex things uh, pretty simple. Uh, I love to learn just so I can teach. And I think it's, it's more selfish because I learned that once taught is actually twice learned, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I learn something, I get to teach it. I'm actually learning it twice. So it's really a bigger benefit to me when I'm speaking than probably it is to the people that's getting it. And so sometimes that's for uh, selfish ambitions. Uh, that, that level of entrepreneurship for me came at a young age. I think I was in fifth grade when I had my first uh, candy store, right? And I started selling the, the Jolly Ranchers or, or uh, uh, the, the sodas in school because all the kids had with milk. And I, I had my little Rambo uh, book bag and my, my, my stuff with my things in it. And, uh, I remember somebody saw me selling in the cafeteria by the time I got to the classroom, they had taken my bag, my lunch bag, and had it in the principal's office so they can call home and say, hey, do you know that your son is selling stuff here? And, uh, <laughs> you know, from there, it took me into, I, I delivered newspapers from uh, what we called middle school all the way until I graduated high school. I, um, man, I sold oils, incense. I, um, you know, so that, that entrepreneurial spirit uh, and what it taught, that level of, you know, I think with the message, it was contrary to, I guess, what you were getting in school. School was preparing you for a job and a career. And I think when you look at history, that didn't come around until like the Industrial Revolution, right? Because prior to that, probably 80 to 90% of people owned their own businesses. And it was a level of trading and, and bartering that went on in the marketplace. But somewhere uh, down the line, uh, the vast majority of people became employ employers and not employees. I mean, employees and not employers. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think I just had that love to be able to, to be able to create, right? Because I think the best way to predict the future is to create it. So, if uh, and in politics, I, I, you know, I often tell people as the mayor, sometimes I feel like I'm somewhere between God's plan. And God stopped playing. Like I'm, I'm right there in the middle. Like, you know, God, you got a sense of humor somewhere because how did this get on my path or tra trajectory? Sure. But you know, it's not about what I've learned now. It's not about the destination, but it's about who you become in the process. Mm -hmm.
Mm, very good, very good, very good. Now, um, I see the just ex ex execute, and I'm going to get more into that later. Amen. But uh, there's a thing that I think you and I are both familiar with, and, and, and let me just kind of cue up my audience in case they're not familiar. It's it's the DISC assessment. Amen. And, and uh, the program that you and I are familiar with, uh, they break up different personality types into four different types, uh, airline stewards, pilots, uh, uh, ground control, and then air traffic control. And, and, and it's basically saying, hey, there's some people who are more people-oriented. Those are the stewards. There are some people who are pilots where they're the ones that just make things happen. They're the ones in people's faces. They're the, the ones that charge ahead. There's the ground crew who... They help people kind of get organized and they kind of help uh, bring everything together. There's the air traffic control, who I believe are the long-term uh, long analysts, the people who kind of think about the big, big picture. Now, you, you stump me, Mayor Wood. You stump me because I see a little bit of a lot of different traits. So which one, which one are you out of all of those uh, DISC assessments? I think the ultimate goal, you know, every time I look at that is kind of be well-balanced. I try to be balanced, right? Mm -hmm. Primarily, you know, believe it or not, I am the flight attendant. I, I am the, the one that likes to take care of the people. I mean, it's cooking hospitality, right? It's hospitality oriented. We want to make sure everybody's taken care of, everybody's taken comfortable. I mean, I think when you look at politics, which made the transition into uh, politics in the civil world, it's because uh, I have a heart of service. So it made it easy for me to, to go out and talk to people because I was genuinely concerned about uh, what are people needs, right? And I think the greatest act of leadership, believe it or not, is to, to go out and serve. And so looking at that level of service, you might not know it because I can, I can operate as the pilot when I need to because sometimes you got to turn that hat on. I need to because, you know, uh, being a mayor, being a business owner, sometimes I need to be in the air traffic control. And I need to be able to see that whole thing. And then, you know, um, you know, probably that 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 uh, the people down the baggage crew, it's probably probably one of the least things. But, you know, it's there. But I, what I've learned nowadays is uh, I don't have to do everything and I don't have to be all those. I can begin to start to delegate and, and find people to be able to do those things. And so the team ultimately is more important than me as an individual. That's right. That's right. That's awesome. That is awesome. And, and the reason why I ask that is because a lot of times people who are great cooks, you know, there's a lot of detail in that. There's a lot of, uh, you know, there's, that's, that can be a different muscle movement. But then also I could see the, the love of people and the knowing how to flow. Uh, I could see the airline steward as well. So that's why you threw me off for a second there. You threw me off because normally I can predict. Now, uh, mine's is primary airline steward, secondary pilot. Um, now, as I uh, as I ask you that question, how long have you been in public office now? Two. Uh, I got elected at the last election, Obama. So that was November 2012. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Obama. November 2012. So I, I got elected on the Obama slate, um, and I've been mayor since 2018. Wow. So I, was on, I was on town council first. I actually won as a write-in candidate for mm -hmm. the candidates. Uh, running for a write-in position. There was nobody on the ballot. And I primarily got the support of uh, people in the community to uh, write my name in. And that's how I initially got in. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a labor of love. I've 
I've learned so much about um, public office and policy. And, and now I'm, I'm in the stage now where I'm mentoring new people that's getting elected. I'm uh, in the process of, of uh, actually writing a book. You know, we're playing around with the title on it. But for the for the, the core context of it is how I went from barbecuing in the parking lot to parking in the mayor's spot. That's you awesome. know, really to me, it's the process of becoming or, you know, from uh, potential to purpose. You That's know, awesome. so I'm just looking at, you know, who I became in the process of, of getting kicked off the side of the road and, and the trials and the errors and, and all of those things I went through, the lessons that, that I can share, because I think all of our life um, has lessons that can be taught or passed on. You know, I don't think the lessons that we get are, are just for ourselves, but it's like who can learn from the experiences we have. I think that's why uh, God created parents, right? Because parents experience something that children don't have to go through most of the time. I always used to tell my kids when they were little, I said, look, if God didn't want you to have parents, he would have made you like Adam. He would have took you back from right. the ground. But in his infinite wisdom, he gave you me. Amen. Amen. Well, much to your credit, I used, you know, I don't stay involved in Dumfries, even though I have a church in the Dumfries area, I don't stay involved in Dumfries politics. But I will say this, I always, maybe 10 years back, I could always remember hearing all this drama coming from, uh, from, from Dumfries politics where they were, you know, I don't, I don't remember all the details, but I remember just drama. And then it's been very, uh, now from Dumfries, I hear more about positive stories. And, you know, I hear, you know, this is just someone from the outside, outside looking in that, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I don't even remember all that. I don't want to bring up all the things that, you know, the little, little conflicts, I guess you could say, and little things. And now I hear more about prosperity. Um, uh, you know, you know, I hear positive things coming out of your, your city. So I think that's, that has to do something with your leadership, brother. So congratulations. Yeah, one thing I've learned from my entrepreneurship role, and you would think that town government and municipalities can you can you can kind of parallel the two worlds together because you're in essence you're you're the you're the chief visionary for the community, right? As the as the figurehead, and uh, from day one, my my mission or my vision. Uh, for getting in, into politics was uh, you go back and you probably look at my, some of my early campaign material back in 2012. My model was, hey, let's rediscover Dumfries. Mm. And, you know, it was the vision, I think, that really, you know, now looking back, it had to have been from God because even me saying it, I didn't really understand how powerful it was. But then I used to say, I think Dumfries is a diamond in the rough, right? At the time, uh, you know, the Wegmans, the Stonebridge, that whole shopping center was being developed up that way. Stafford, 610 area, that was starting to boom. And here it is, everything around Dumfries was being developed. But for some reason, Dumfries wasn't being developed. And I was like, you know, my vision or my mission for getting up here is I'm going to make Dumfries a destination place that people from all over D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, they're not going to drive through, but they're going to drive to. Right. And so that was that was my center uh, value for what I was going to run on. And I would repeat this uh, every opportunity I got to it. So it became secondary. Like my mission is to make Dumfries a destination place that people from all over D.C. and Maryland don't want to come to. And I, from there, I created Parks and Recs Commission, uh, where we did recreational programming 
uh, and we brought summer concerts to uh, the town of Dumfries. Uh, from there, we were uh, we were able to do a lot of those significant things. And then uh, when I became mayor, you know, and I, I sat down, I met with the different business owners. I sat down and met with different uh, influences in the community. And it was clear that for years that Dumfries had been on an identity crisis. Mm. Like nobody knew what uh, the identity of Dumfries, what we were going to build Dumfries around. And, you know, it was at that time that I said, hey, we can build this thing around food and entertainment, right? Dumfries, when you go back and you look at the evolution of Dumfries, Dumfries was founded May 11, 1749. Right. Um, it was a plantation, Grand Park Plantation, hence Grand Park Road. So it was a plantation. He named it after his hometown, Dumfries of Scotland. Um, it was built on a port. Quantico Creek was a major port. And what you had was you had major ships that used to come in here to this port because we used to export uh, tons of, of tobacco and, and other different uh, commerce. So Dumfries was thriving. That Quantico Creek port used to rival Alexandria, Philadelphia, uh, New York, Boston. So we used to rival most of the major ports up and down uh, the East Coast. We were the first continuously chartered town, or the oldest right now, with the oldest continuously chartered town in the state of Virginia. Mm. Now, there were poor farming practices that kind of silted in, created a lot of silt in Quantico Creek, which then caused a lot of the ships not to be able to come in and out anymore, mm -hmm. right? So then Dumfries began to lose its uh, prominence. Dumfries no longer seemed to be important in the community because that port no longer uh, existed coming in and out. Uh, it wouldn't start to get more people coming back in here until uh, possibly about the Civil War. Right, soldiers got jobs, they came in, there was a tavern, uh, things like that began to happen. And then after that war was over, kind of, you know, at some point there was a mass exodus from uh, people who migrated north or whatever. They left Dumfries, they left Prince William County. Then you had the pirate mine that came over here on Batestown Road in the Batestown community, and that brought a bunch of jobs. And then after that left, you know, Dumfries became sleepy. Somewhere between, you know, the, the, the 19th century, the 20th century, the Dumfries government was dormant. There's no record of any mayor, any council people, but the charter never was dissolved. Hence why we're the oldest continuously chartered town. Around 1959, 1960, you had a, a group of men in town that uh, understood that there was a charter here. I think they, their goal and their mission was to become a city, and they reestablished uh, the town charter, and they filed at the courthouse uh, for to have a mayor and six other council people. Mm -hmm. Think about uh, 61, 62. And then somebody fell off, and they brought in Mr. Porter, a Porter Brother Automotive, who became the first African-American elected in the entire state of Virginia post-re-election right here in the town of Dumfries. Uh, he ended up signing for the town hall building and putting up the mortgage for it. Hence is why our town hall name is, is currently named the Wilma Porter Building. Because mm, it's named after him. And so uh, I think that then created the contentious relationship between the county and the town. Because uh, at that time, a lot of areas, I think Manassas, 
became a city, some other places. So at that time, they were probably afraid that they were going to lose the revenue that was in Dumfries because Dumfries would have became an independent city. But they, they stayed in town, but it created a, a lot of friction. And Dumfries, I guess the way they started, didn't, didn't do it in a way that would build bridges, but only uh, kind of tear them down. And I think that went on all the way up until why you saw uh, a lot of people and the structure of the government as a municipality uh, never really set their structure up in a way that was uh, consistent with other localities. Mm. Up until, you know, all of that bickering and fighting because everybody wanted to be in control. Uh, what we were able to do, uh, me, my colleagues on the dais now, uh, was to come and have a cohesive working group, right? Everybody is got one vision. There's not division, like multiple visions. Like and we knew that we wanted to all work together towards a common goal. And so we began to establish and build a solid foundation over the last couple of years um, under uh, this new administration. We have gotten uh, the prestigious budget presentation award. Uh, we got procurement processes. We've set policies up. We've uh, eliminated the need to have uh, these marathon uh, council meetings uh, where everybody is going back and forth. And uh, we've actually started to uh, get things done. I was able to bring in a major project uh, that brought jobs, right? They had never, they had never been an employer here that have brought jobs that outside of, we had a lot of government contracting, but jobs that everybody in the community could take care of. So uh, the Colonial Downs Group, uh, Rosie's, they're, they're a gaming emporium. They met with me early on uh, before I swore in and began to talk to me about uh, asking, uh, what does the community need? Uh, and you know, that's an interesting question because most businesses that come to the community don't start asking what you need. Right. So they came and they, they asked, what do we need? And I told them uh, we needed a convention center. They kind of laughed at me. They said a convention center. They said America in this area. And at the time, I was looking at the amount of business uh, the entire area was losing whenever they had to have any type of big banquets or things like that. Most of the time, they had to go to uh, Crystal City, Arlington area to those big hotels or uh, Fort Belvoir. I remember the NAACP hosted events at Fort Belvoir at the Officers Club um, because there was no space big enough. And I had a vision. I wanted to do car shows. I wanted to bring concerts here. And so I said, listen, I want a convention center. And they say, uh, we think we can, we can help and we can, we can uh, bring that. Um, but where would we put it? <laughs> And I said, there's only uh, two locations that may have enough labor. One was the landfill, and the other was some property over on um, Quantico Creek that's a kind of huge eyesore that's off the beaten path that nobody knows about. But uh, that's another vision to revitalize the, the, the Quantico Creek. So uh, long story short, Rosie's uh, started talking to me about these uh, historical horse racing machines. And these machines was to revitalize uh, the horse industry in the state of Virginia. They had already been down to New Kent and they had already purchased the track mm -hmm. and they started bringing in and giving the horse owners a place for their horses to run. And they made a huge investments in the uh, state of Virginia. And Virginia had given them what's called paramutual licensing. 
uh, the ability to put these paramutual gaming machines. They look like slot machines. Now, they were good because there were already these illegal ones uh, that were popping up in a lot of the gas stations and different businesses around. And when I say illegal, meaning they, they didn't have any license and a lot of municipalities wasn't receiving any type of revenue for it. And so uh, with it, I told them they would have to uh, get on the ballot. The people would have to vote and say they want it. And so there was a vote and referendum passed. Uh, from there, we had to create some conditional uses. Uh, they found a, a location that they're currently in, which is in the Triangle Shopping Center. They invested $5 million into a shopping center that uh, had no development or redevelopment since about 1979. And they put $5 million into that, that property plus. Plus, they brought um, over 100 jobs, paying minimum wage of $15 an hour, also uh, paying servers over $9 an hour, plus their tips. Uh, upper level, they had management jobs paying uh, sixty and seventy thousand uh, dollars a year, and those type of jobs uh, actually help to will help to increase because it's higher than what the median income was listed on the census. Mm -hmm. um, phase two that they want to do, which is going to help to bring the uh, vision of a convention center a little bit further in fruition, is they're going to look at the uh, landfill. I think they have a, a intent to buy, and they're going to bring in eight restaurants. Uh, some type of convention-style space that can bring in concerts and hold banquets. And they're going to have 50,000 uh, square feet of gaming facility. Plus, they will have anywhere from 250 to 300 hotel rooms. And you'll be able to see that right off of 95. And it's going to bring, uh, I think, roughly four to 600 jobs uh, right to this community. Uh, which has been major and huge. What we did with the revenue, because the revenue and the taxes that we raised on this first one, over half a million dollars plus a year in gaming, plus uh, meals tax and business taxes that we received. We took that money and we actually took care of the people that's been building up our infrastructure. So we took care of all our staff. We gave them full medical, dental benefits where they don't have to pay anything out of their pocket for them or their family. And, and we saw that as an essential thing because uh, we raised our police officers' sergeant salaries to 60000 the most competitive in all of Northern Virginia, with a full benefit package. So I can't nobody compete. We now have a fully staffed police department, a police chief, and we were able to do that because we brought this one gaming facility, uh, which is controversy. A lot of people uh, mistake it for a casino. Uh, with the full table games, the dice and the roulette, which is it's just singular uh, historical horse racing machines that it has in there. And it, it was a major part to bring in jobs. And people say, are you pro-gambling? I said, no, not really. But there's lottery in every 7-Eleven. There's scratch tickets. There's bingo. It's, it's already there and it's legal. Why don't we take in this community and we capitalize it and we bring some type of jobs? People are going to do it anyway. They're already going to the MGM. Right. So why don't we recapture some of that revenue and keep it right here in the state of Virginia? For our audio only listeners, we have a paid ad for the next one minute and 33 seconds. Good morning. Good afternoon or good evening. Whatever time it is in your time zone. At least on my time, it's it's after church and. I don't know about you, sometimes after church, I'm just lacking energy. Courtney, 
Can you get me? Can you get me a uh, one of them vitamins that your mama takes? There you go, Daddy. Mm. Let me try one of these. Tastes pretty good. My God, my God, Q! What do you have in there? It's made with vitamins B9 and B12. It's it's great for my overall health. It's made with pectin, a unique fiber in fruit peels. It's simple and delicious. Kim, did you know that more people search apple cider vinegar in the U.S. than tea? Google has 15,000 people searching that word every day in the U.S. alone. Kim, how can more people get this gummy? If you want to support the podcast, or if you're looking to improve your health, you can order these gummies at https forward slash forward slash go.goalie.com forward slash becoming discipline don't forget to use our promo code becoming discipline uh life is a gamble uh, 401k is a gamble <laughs> you know so uh, right. crypto is certainly a gamble amen so so everything in life is a gamble so i, I really i have no problem with that now let me ask this question uh, from a from a discipline standpoint, from a process standpoint. Uh, I, I currently live in a Virginia county that's that can be very divisioned, uh, very very divided. What steps were taken? Was it you or was it another elder in the community that organized it? Um, what happened and what steps were taken to get everybody on board? How did you get, how did you get people of a similar vision all to get elected? How, what was the, how did that, how did that happen? How did, how did y'all, how did y'all operate it? Yeah. So it starts on mentorship. Um, one of the mentors in politics for me was the former vice mayor. His name was, uh, Willie Tony. Uh, he took and introduced me to another man who we just lost, the civil rights icon, a uh, man who was seen all around this community, uh, Mr. Al Brooks. Uh, those two had a vision and they said, uh, we wanna help uh, get representation on all the boards, commissions, all of the um, county um, seats that look like the community. Cause right now there's no representation from all cultures and, and all backgrounds. And particularly they were like, we wanna get uh, brothers and sisters from the Hispanic and the black communities into these seats because they, especially on the Prince William County Board of County Supervisors, at that time it didn't exist. And so uh, what they talked about, the, the important things that they taught me was it's a matter of not just getting people on the, the one elected board, but how to get people up and down, right? There are other boards and commissions that people don't know about. So planning commissions, there's zoning appeals, there are um, all kinds of commissions and board that people don't know about that now it was like we would have to be the voice. And I remember feeling like at one point, like really understanding Harriet Tubman, because Harriet Tubman said, I freed over a thousand slaves, but I could have freed a thousand more, except they didn't know they were slaves. I remember going out telling people, hey, we got these boards and commissions. Why don't you apply? And they would say, okay, Mr. Wood, uh, two weeks later, hey, where's your resume? Where's your stuff to get on this board? Oh, yeah, 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 I got it. And it was like a struggle to get people to see the importance about uh, getting involved and getting a seat at the table. Because when you finally get a seat at the table, now you begin to understand it's a menu. So it was a process. It took about 
uh, six years of just uh, really going out, uh, educated, being visible in the community. Uh, you know, I started being very vocal on social media, uh, which, you know, a lot of, in politics, that wasn't, people didn't want you to see what was going on. They wanted to do a lot of stuff uh, behind closed doors and stuff like that. I started to uh, really market and promote what was going on, get out, invite people to events. And after a while, we started putting people in position where they could run, uh, get a seat at the table. And uh, everybody understood uh, because the vision was already clear, you know, and I think I think vision is contagious. Right. The, the, the issue is when most of the time and, it, and it's unrefreshing because I hear a lot of people say it's refreshing to come and know somebody that we have a clear vision and we can articulate the vision and where it's going. And I think um, vision is contagious where people begin to see uh, what you see. Even when it don't exist, it's like you can see further than your eyes can see. And the more you communicate, the more you cast your vision, the more everybody kind of jumps on. And so, you know, my spiritual mentor, um, and I ended up doing a tribute on the dais when he passed away. And a lot of people didn't understand, but it was Dr. Miles Monroe uh, from the Bahamas Faith Ministry, uh, world-renowned leader, founder of the International Third World Leaders Association. Uh, he was very instrumental in my leadership thinking uh, as far as uh, how to generate ideas, how to problem solve. Uh, he taught me how to uh, look at everybody as a leader, right? Because his mission in life was to transform followers into leaders and leaders into agents of change. And so he was a huge catalyst into my leadership thinking and my level of leadership from uh, and I, I was mentored by him from 2009 until he passed away in 2014. And I used to go to his global leadership conferences and his retreats. And so uh, it was uh, extremely uh, valuable learning because he he was not just a pastor. He was a business leader. He was a political leader. And he consulted leaders all around the world. Amen. Yeah, uh, it's amazing the circles that we both are familiar with because uh, um, I'm, I'm very jealous of you, all right? I'm very, very, I'm very, very jealous because I did not discover Dr. Monroe until he passed. Wow. So I have, uh, I have been consuming uh, with, with an incredible appetite everything that, everything that he has, I've been consuming it, but I didn't get a chance to meet him. There's a signature. There's a signed book. Oh, man. I'm very, very, very <laughs> jealous, man. I'm very, very jealous, my brother. That was on releasing your potential. Oh, man, goodness. Uh, my goodness. You know, yeah, it, yeah. That's, he, a, that's, that's huge. He's a, I'm a, I, even, I even follow his son, and, and, you know, I pay attention to what his son's doing and everything else. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's huge, brother. And he has made a huge impact on, on my life and, and just how I kind of view the world. He, um, he actually, I'm going to tell you, we'll let you in on the secret. He actually prophesied that I was going to be the mayor this time. Are you sure? Uh, yeah, he came, he, he, came to, he came to Grace Church. Uh, they did a building dedication. I had just got elected in 2012. So it was in November 2012 he came. And uh, he was preaching about uh, the church and the government, right? The word church meaning ecclesia, meaning call out ones, meaning it was a Roman Senate. So the church was actually a political body. And he said separation of church and politics 
was it about uh, the church staying out of politics? It was about politics staying out of the church and mm-hmm. talking about the character of leaders and what it took. And then he stood kind of like in front of the then mayor and said, yeah, that's why my son Derek is going to be the mayor of this place. And I was probably elected two weeks and, and I'm looking like, okay, wait a second. I didn't even know if I was going to have a long-standing thing in this. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he, he made a very uh, a powerful statement that uh, the stuff that I learned and implemented was based on what he poured into me. That's awesome. You know, to be, able to, to be able to have that relationship and to sit under what I consider to be a master teacher. You know, he, I mean, and, and you're saying that because his, his lessons are so timeless. People are still unraveling and peeling back the layers of some of the principles that he was teaching. And the reason why he taught principles, these prince means first, uh, and the second half of that means law, so first laws, because he, he understood that you can't break principles, principles break you. Wow, 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 wow. Oh, you about to give me hollering up in here, brother. Yeah, yeah, it's like, think about the law of gravity, right? You can't break the law of gravity because you'll get on this roof and you'll walk off and you try to break it, you'll fall. Now, there's a higher law called lift, but you have to be going a certain speed to kind of get that lift. That's so, right. you know, laws aren't there to restrict you. They're there to protect you. Amen. 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 Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. Now, uh, before we get you out of here, there's, uh, there's uh, the, you know, because when I, I hear something, when I hear a love and when I hear experience in something, uh, and I, we're trying to teach our, our, our audience how to become more disciplined for our future cooks, because I hear another love. There's another love I hear there regarding cooking. If you could time travel to a young cook who's 18 years old and they're just discovering this love, they're just they're just getting started. What would you what what advice would you give or what disciplines does a young cook need to become a highly disciplined chef or highly disciplined uh, barbecue uh, cook? What what do they need and what advice would you give them right now? It's it's going to be your attitude. Right. I think your mindset is essential in the process because you got to be willing uh, to do stuff. Sometimes you don't want to do. You got to be willing to experience stuff. I started off every every job as a young teenager washing dishes. Right. I just needed to get in the place. I wash dishes. I clean toilets. I scrub floors. Right. And what you develop is you develop a, a sense of work ethic, right? And I had a positive attitude about it when, whenever I was there, right? And so your attitude and your mindset has to be disciplined, right? And here's the key. I didn't do the, when I finished washing the dishes, I was over finding out what I could do to help the cooks, what I can do to help the pit master, what I can do. And so I wasn't in there. I might've got in the door as a dishwasher. But I didn't do the job I was hired to do. I always executed at a higher level. And so the discipline or the thing I can say is always, uh, uh, you know, I got a saying that I teach, be, do, have, right? Decide who it is you want to be. Do the things that that person would do and you'll have the things that that person has. Mm. Decide who it is you want to be. Do what that person would do and eventually you'll have what that person has. 
That is blessed. That is blessed. He do have, and so I always didn't do the job I was hired to do. I always did that. Plus, I did what I really wanted to do. Mm, okay. And so right. I think I think that's going to be the, the key to anybody that's young to develop that discipline. Get that mindset. Don't just do what you're hired to do. Go over and above, right? Because money is attracted to the value you bring. Let me just say that. Mm. Right? If you're not bringing value to your employer, if you're not bringing value to the people you're serving, then, then, then money is running away from you. It's not attracted to you. Right. And so you got to figure out what your talent is. Right. Figure out what you're good at. Right. Then you know the story of the talents. One had one. Another had two. Another had five. Right. He gave everybody. People was like, why do you why does God keep blessing you? Mayor, you do this. You're about to start doing this. It's because I'm not in the business of burying my gifts. Mm, that's some people are wicked and lazy. And God's actually been firing you from every job you get because you keep burying your talent. Right, right. Amen. 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 You keep burying your talent. And Amen. so he only rewards you when you're faithful with what he's given you and you actually add value to it. You gotta become disciplined at learning and mastering what you're good at. If you're good at talking and you're good at teaching, you I, like I you can't. Only what's in you can come out, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can't sit here and, and while you're talking and, and begin to, to pick up some books and read it to get this out, right? You got to be prepared to teach this type of stuff, right? Okay. It's better to be prepared for opportunity and not have one than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. Woo! Good stuff. Right, let me say that again. It's like insurance. It's better to be prepared for an opportunity and not have one than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. Right. Oftentimes, opportunity comes disguised as, as work. It comes disguised as pain. It comes disguised as an obstacle. And most of us don't take advantage of the opportunity. Mm -hmm. right? And there's oftentimes there's opportunity. There are, all the times there's opportunity in, in every crisis and everything you go through, there's an opportunity. It just depends on how you see it. It goes back to me telling you, you got to discipline your mind, not to, not to see based on your own context, but based on your own culture. But sometimes you got to look at it from other people's perspectives or try to look at it from a, a different angle because you don't see what's there. You only see what you're being programmed to see. Mm, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, another reason I'm jealous of you. All right. Another reason um, God has spoiled you because you went from one great doctor to another great doctor. Okay. Can you talk to us about your, uh, can you talk to us about the mentorship and who uh, Dr. Eric Thomas and who CJ Quinney are and how they have impacted your life. I mean, Dr. Dr. Eric Thomas, I mean, you know, he's the, uh, the they call him the number one motivational speaker, but uh, E.T., as most people know him, the hip hop preacher, uh, he's more than a motivational speaker, right? He's somebody who generally is in the business of serving and taking care of people. Um, first time, First time I met him in person, I packed my family up in the car. He was speaking in Philadelphia. I want to say this was around 2017. Mm. Uh, took my son, my two daughters, and my wife. We got in the car. We drove to Philadelphia. Um, 
they didn't know he was. So on the ride there, I put in the, uh, the I think it might've been an audible book. I don't even remember, but we listened on the whole ride up there. We listened to his story, um, his book. I, I can't think of the name of which it was, but it was one of his books. And so uh, anyway, we sit, we get to the conference. Uh, so I don't get a ticket for my wife and my youngest daughter because they're going to sit out there and do homework or something for some reason. CJ sees my wife and daughter sitting out before the conference, and he says, what are y'all doing out here? She's My wife's like, oh, she's not old enough to come in. And he makes both of them come on into the conference. Oh, that's I, the CJ, I hadn't even purchased tickets. <laughs> I only had tickets for, I only had three tickets. He, he makes uh, my wife and them there. After the conference is over, me and my son uh, slide into the to the VIP section, right? And first thing he does is he begins to pour into my son. I didn't even say nothing to him. I didn't shook his hand. I said, this is my son. He turned to my son. He told my son, make sure you honor your father, uh, the things he's doing. He just began to pour into my son, right? This, this isn't what you see motivational speakers do, right? This is somebody... Who, who genuinely is concerned about people and, and the well-being of people. So uh, he started doing a Phenomenal Life Conference in, in 2018, right, which uh, we go to a remote location. I learned from Dr. Miles Monroe, uh, every major thing happens, uh, there's a movement, right? right? When God called the disciples, they had to leave something behind to go into a whole different environment, right? So when he did the Phenomenal Life Cruise and now he's doing the Phenomenal Life Jamaican, Phenomenal Life Mexico, I knew I had to be a part of that. He is somebody who gives value to people uh, two to three times a day on social media for free. You can find him on YouTube. You can find him on uh, Instagram. You can find him on Facebook. But they're dropping two to three pieces of content for free. Right. That's why he's the number one motivational speaker in the world, because nobody's dropping that type of free content that's feeding people. He's going in and he started all of this by speaking to at risk youth mm-hmm. boys at school and had a GED program because uh, he got a GED and then it took him 12 years to get a four year degree. Right. And so my relationship with him was I saw the value that he was bringing. I told him um um, it's funny. I told him last week or two weeks ago. I said, "I know it's two books that tell my life story: the Bible and my checkbook." Right. <laughs> and, and the reason I say that is because where people put their money at says what they value. That's right. Amen. Can I say that again. Amen. Where people put their money at shows what they value. So if you want to know what people value, take a look at their checkbook and see what they're spending their money on. That's right. That's right. That's right. I tell that to my congregation all the time, brother. Yeah, well, you know, everybody don't understand it at that level. And so I saw the value, you know, he had been putting in. I was watching, thank God it's Monday for a long time before I even went to see him. I was watching... um, not only to thank God, thank God I'm married, right? You know, I was watching those series. And then uh, he went to start doing the live conferences. And, uh, you know, I thought about one of the, the, the biggest regrets I had before Dr. Monroe passed away. And that was when he invited me to go to trips to South Africa with him. Um, I didn't take those trips because I I purposed in my mind that I didn't I didn't have the ability to do it. 
So when he taught me the first time he invited me to the Bahamas, let me take you back to Dr. Monroe and bring you to fast forward you to Dr. Eric Thomas. In 2009, he came uh, to Dumfries. He spoke uh, and he was doing his first uh, seminar to teach people how to teach like him. Like he was, he wanted to mentor and teach people how to teach like him. I had seen him at a George Frazier conference, uh, maybe three or four years earlier, where he dropped the book Spirit of Leadership. And I had a revelation because he talked about the lion not being the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, but lion was king of the jungle because his attitude was every time he saw that that elephant, he was going to reduce that elephant to lunch. He was like, say lunch. Every So when I saw him, I would say lunch. And he said, <laughs> you got a revelation. And so uh, he said, I want you to come to the Bahamas so I can teach you how to, uh, to teach like him. And he said, before you... You answer, I just want you to make a decision. And once you make a decision, all the resources are going to line up for that decision. Mm, that's good. That is good. That's good. And so when Dr. Thomas, Eric Thomas, E.T., the hip-hop preacher, put out something, and I know the value he's brought to me in my household, right, from, from what's been imparted into him, I have to invest in that, Right. And so instead of me starting with, do I have the resources? I start with a decision. And everything lines up with that decision. And so as a result, me sitting down, having one-on-one invested in them, right? And not only investing, but, you know, I'm I'm not the type that, that's always, look, it's always, how can I continue to bring value? Like, I'm not just here to eat off of you. I want to invest. He has, he too has a love for uh, Dr. Miles Monroe, believe it or not. And uh, we both have a uh, foundation of prayer. Like prayer is a, is one of those foundational principles to us. And so we, we bond on that level and was able to connect. Uh, one of the, the things that recently uh, he's helped me and my family with was to help uh, my wife. And he doesn't even live in Virginia. He ain't nowhere near Virginia. Uh, but he made a commitment to uh, connect us because he's a connector. He knows uh, uh, he, he's connected to a, a lot of people uh, from athletes in the NFL, NBA, you know, baseball. He's connected to, to, to business people uh, from Quicken Loans and all of those. But, you know, somebody in a small town like Dumfries all the way in Virginia he said, how can I uh, help you and your wife, right? You've been coming, you've been investing. He was like, what can I do for you? And I said, I'm having trouble getting her certification. And uh, he says, I know somebody who knows all about certification. She owns her own colleges, connected me with her uh, right away. Uh, we did a Zoom while we were on a trip uh, to Mexico. People probably see me in Mexico and they probably think I'm on vacation. But I'm actually there. I'm at a conference, right? I'm, I'm in a remote location. Yeah, we might get an excursion or two, but I'm, I'm actually recharging and renewing uh, by just getting somebody to pour into me. And so uh, long story short, she gave us information that was vital to uh, what HR had here. So we presented something to human resources for teaching certifications. What they found out was they didn't know about it. They didn't know that they shouldn't be discriminating between certifications, whether it's a regional certification or national certification, right? Where did this discrimination come? Well, I know because I'm in politics, it's the oldest accredited body wanted to keep this accredited body out. So they created this, oh, yeah, if you shouldn't let no teachers get certified unless they've been through our certification. Mm. 
And so through that, eventually, in less than 90 days, based on me telling him I had a problem, him connecting me with somebody, he was able to uh, help my wife get her uh, teacher certification, uh, and she got hired for a job as a teacher. So, uh, you know, it's it's just uh, you look at what he's doing, he's changing lives. You don't see him out there uh, flossing and doing that, but he's all about how can I bring a simple message that people can just execute and their lives will be changed and they can live this uh, 120 lifestyle. That's awesome. Now, becoming disciplined, we examine discipline or organization in the following areas. Spirituality, mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, financial discipline, time management, and home and data organization. Now, which now, now don't get me wrong. Every every person I interview, I got to read that off to them twice. So don't you know? I'm, I'm gonna read it to you again. But which of these do you consider your strongest? Which do you consider your weakest? And what is your plan in 2021 to attack that weak area? So let me read it to you one more time. Spirituality, mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, financial discipline, time management, and home and data organization. What's the strong point? What's the weak point? And what's the plan? Tell me what the home and data is. Uh, home and data is how well is your uh, how well is your phone how how well is your house organized how well is your emails or you know like do you have fifteen thousand emails in there or 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 do you obtain the ever elusive inbox zero when everything wow. is in its right location that's what we mean by that. So we'll put that as the weakest. Okay. <laughs> and so my plan in place right now is I'm uh. I'm looking at it's. It's actually written on my piece of paper here. Uh, virtual assistant, right? I'm I'm looking for virtual assistants. I got to go ahead. Go ahead, man. You know, so I'm uh, you know, coaching and coaching and mentorship is, has been a key for me, right? Because you look at some of the world's most successful people, they all have coaches or they have mentors, mm-hmm. right? And so I think what helps me to elevate at, at more levels is probably people in my position that they've arrived and uh, they, they're not listening to nobody else, right? But I'm at the point and I'm at the stage where I know that every level I continue to grow, right? Every round goes higher and higher. There's information that I don't know and, and getting around the right people can change that. So a virtual assistant is one of the keys and continue to stay connected to mentors who can help me organize and put that in place. And so uh, that's where... I'm putting it in place. And I think my strongest is, is my, my mental tenacity, mm. right? And and that's probably because my foundation is solid, right? Sure. You got a solid foundation. Uh, anything that goes on top of it is, is going to um, um, not be able to. Because, you know, knowing having mental stability is all about knowing that uh, the storm, when the house was built on the sand and the house was built on the rock, the storm hits both houses, right? And so you got to have the mental stability to know that if you're standing on the right foundation, the storm will hit you, but you got to remember you're insulated from the storm. That's right. That's right. So yeah. All you got to do is outlast that season or outlast that storm, mm. right? And so everything in life, I recognize in my mental strength that there's seasons, right? One of the, the, the most sarcastic books in the Bible's uh, a Song of Solomon, 
right? Solomon wrote it in a very uh, sarcastic tone. He said, there's a, a time and a season. Meaning seasons represent change, right? Meaning if we're in the summer right now and we hate the summer, all, it don't mean we give up on life because we're in the summer that we don't like. That means we got to outlast the summer until the fall comes. That's right. That's, right. That's, that's right. mental toughness. And then knowing that if you're in the fall, the fall ain't going to always be around. Eventually, you're going to get to the cold of the winter. That's awesome. That then awesome. you got to outlast that season because when after winter comes the spring, and that might be allergy season for some people. <laughs> but your mental tenacity means that there's nothing permanent in life. God is the only permanent. That we're always in a constant state of change. So just get over what you're going through and don't focus on what you're going through because you will be consumed by it and you might even see, but focus on what you're going to. Amen, amen, amen. Boy, that's a whole word, man. You got to tell people to send us an offering. <laughs> well, what I'm going to do, uh, this is so good, we're going to break this up into little three-minute segments and I'm going to put it out and we'll even target it into the Dumfries area so that people can know uh, I'll just to let you know, my, my roots in Dumfries go deep. I got saved on Grand Park Road, that little white building next to Grand Park Middle School. Yeah. I got saved in that spot. Uh, I, I coached at the Boys and Girls Club. I taught it. Uh, I, I lived and worked in Quantico for 12 years. And then our church now is at the Holiday Inn right next to the Chick-fil-A, right okay. on, the, on the outskirts. I don't know if that's still technically in Dumfries or it's on the outskirts. Yeah, it's right on the outskirts. Yeah, yeah. Know, everybody, so, uh, everybody still claims me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Where now, you live uh, oh, I live way. My wife and I, we uh, we went out to Caroline County, the home of the Lovings. Okay. You know, the Loving family. Virginia uh, is for lovers. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, now it is. Now it is. Amen. <laughs> now, um, three quick questions. Um, we like the time travel. We covered your experience. You gave us great advice as a cook. You gave us incredible advice. Uh, uh, you know, building a team when regarding politics, you gave us incredible advice, uh, or you've shared your incredible experiences of picking incredible mentors. Um, now let's time travel. Let's time travel to the day you became a father. Um, you get to time travel. You step outside of the time space continuum. And you can't you can't say a whole lot. You only got the, the 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 device we've created allows you to speak to Derek Wood for ten seconds. What advice do you tell that young father when that baby is placed in his arms? What, what do you tell that young father for those ten seconds? Keep your eyes on and stay focused on where you're going and where you said you want to take this family. Amen. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. That's that's I concur. Focus is the number one thing that you needed to be as a, to, to be a good yeah, parent. Just keep your eyes. You know, I had a I had a mission statement before I was family before I, I was married that was written. Mm. I said we were gonna bring the best out of each other. I said I was gonna have a barbecue. It didn't say nothing about politics, but it said that, you know, that we was gonna strive. That was back when Stephen Covey used to do those uh Covey planners. <laughs> yeah man we've read a lot of the same stuff brother we've read a lot of the same stuff now two segments left you know uh, um, uh, Mayor Wood now it's time to talk about your business and now it's time to talk about uh, what's going on you know what new adventures you want to point us to in Dumfries 
first of all, your business. Where can we get some of that good barbecue? And second of all, is there a particular event in Dumfries that's coming up that you would like us to feature in this podcast? Yeah, so uh, the barbecue can be found uh, at 3940 Axe Lane, right in the center of Dumfries. Uh, if you get to the Dumfries Post Office, uh, just look back two, three doors, and you'll see the big black trailer uh, there with the uh, red, black, and orange tent. Uh, also, um, some of the events that's coming up in Dumfries is our one national night out, which is the first Tuesday in August. Mm. Uh, that's where our police department is going to have a one-hour event in the park from 5 to 6. And then from 6, they will uh, circle the wagon in town. Uh, one of the events I'm having personally in town is uh, on Labor Day, Monday Labor Day. I'm having a birthday fundraiser uh, for those who want to uh, support my campaign. And I think I got a link on Eventbrite. I think it's called MayorDWoodBirthday.Eventbrite.com. And I think that's what it is. And, um, you know, so I'm doing a birthday fundraiser at the barbecue spot. It's a fish fry, chicken fry. Uh, I don't have to run until next year. Um, but it's it's one of those things that, um, you know, you, you want to be, it's better, what I say, it's better to be prepared for opportunity and not have one than have an opportunity and not be prepared. And it's going to be a fun time. This is my, what I call, I'm in my Obama year. Right, because I'm 44, so it's my Obama year. And so I want to give people an opportunity to come out and celebrate. Uh, I got a live band that's going to be out there. Some other politicians and, and such will be out there. So uh, just come on out on Labor Day Monday uh, to uh, the mayor's birthday party. Now, now uh, when you bring in Eric Thomas to Dumfries, that's what, that's what I want to know. You know, it's a couple people that ask that, you know. Uh, <laughs> First, I have to take the barbecue down to him <laughs> and get him there. I think some people actually want him to speak. So, you know, he is he is in high demand, right? Amen. Amen. You know, and so um, we don't know. But awesome. it, it may be sometime uh, in the future. That's right. That's right. When we get the convention center, then we can have uh, Dr. Thomas after the convention center. Absolutely. Uh, Get, get, get them to come pay to speak to the employees. Amen, amen. Well, Mayor Wood, we can't thank you enough. You know, the, 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 goal, the goal for Dr. Thomas, let me share this. I don't know if you may or may not know this, is to get a Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, yeah, I know. I listen. I listen very closely. Um, and uh, and uh, I listen so you know, very closely. You know what he wants to get the Nobel Peace Prize for? No, I don't know that. I don't know that. He wants to transform the education system. Mm. Because the education system hasn't had a shakeup in years in the American system, so uh, he wants to get it in, in education. So that's you know, good. That's we find good. a way. We find a way to help him transform the education system. We might have him in. Amen. Amen. Well, he's he's changed me with the flight assessment because now when I help people, I always try to look at okay, how do they learn? Uh, what's their personality type? How do you connect with them? So that's that's changed for me. But, man, well, we can't thank you enough for coming on. You didn't have to do this. You didn't need to do this. We truly appreciate you. You have the last word. And just so you know, your audience will become disciplined. Uh, we're typically 30 to 55-year-olds. The reason why I say that is a lot of times the youngins are not wise enough to understand that they need to constantly work on self-improvement. 
And then there's some folks, once you get to a certain age, not everybody, not everybody, but there's certain folks that they get to a certain age where they're like, nah, you know, I'm done improving. I'm, I'm, I'm good with where I'm at. But that 30 to 55 year old is, is, is groups of people where they're kind of focused on, hey, I, I want to get better. I lovingly call them the Get Better Club. So with this Get Better Club, this is the audience you're speaking to. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience on how they can become a better version of themselves? Yeah, the key to becoming a better person than yourself is to understand your purpose in life. What purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Mm. Meaning there's a normal use and then there's an abnormal use, right? And so uh, if you use drugs in a way that they shouldn't be drugged, you're a drug abuser because that's an abnormal use. So when you use your life or when you live your life in a way that's not aligned to how you were designed and created, when you put things in your body that harm you, when you uh, contaminate your mind in an environment that's not conducive for growing and developing your mind, then you're abusing your mind. You're abusing your body. And so find your purpose in life and then work to release all the stuff that's lying dormant inside your destiny. It's not ahead of you. Your destiny is trapped on the inside of you. It's waiting for you to discover and give birth to the baby that's in your mind. Amen. Amen. The kingdom of God is within. Thank you, Mayor Wood. If you were as blessed by Mayor Wood as much as we were, please contact him and support him through his many endeavors. For our YouTube listeners, we have these websites plainly listed for you. But for those listening on audio-only platforms, you can find Mayor Wood at the following locations. Mayor Derek Wood on Facebook. My BBQ Man on Instagram. DBBQIM.com on the traditional URL site. And DerekWood.com, and that's Derek with two R's on another traditional URL site. And finally, you can Google eventbrite.com along with Mayor Derek Wood as all of the keywords and his birthday fundraiser will come up. In closing, thank you for tuning in and thank you for becoming disciplined.